Let's talk about um, COP28. But uh, certainly after years of rejecting uh, nuclear energy as an option for clean energy, it just seems all of a sudden that everyone's like, oh, yeah, we'll look at that. And certainly COP28 is uh, talking about nuclear power for the first time in a much different way. And I guess at some point the leaders will reach some kind of agreement on future expansion of this power source. No word yet if Canada's going to be signing on to this declaration. I mean, uh, Stephen Guibault has made no secret. He is not a fan of nuclear, but, you know, we've got a prime minister whose legacy is all about climate change and a party that has not yet once reached targets. And, he, and, and the prime minister has started talking about nuclear energy. And I don't know why we're not talking about it. It's clean, it's green, it's clean, green, clean, 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 green, clean, <laughs> green, clean, and affordable. We also have an opportunity here because we have got a huge stake in the market. Let me go to Dr. Chris Kiefer. He is president of Canadians for Nuclear Energy when he's not an emergency doctor, and he's about to board a plane to COP28. Good to have you. I'm glad we caught you. Good morning, Alex. Great to have a chance to be back. So it is a different conversation this year. What does it look like? It is absolutely difficult. Uh, different. This is really unprecedented. Um, as you were mentioning, um, there was a pledge of 22 countries representing really the world's uh, majority of the world's GDP. So these aren't small countries. These are France, Britain, the United States. And yes, Canada joined this pledge to triple nuclear energy by 2050. Um, so this is huge. I know that uh, Justin Trudeau is not your favorite person, Alex. Um, it's I'm, not personal. I, I try to stay sort of politically agnostic and nonpartisan, uh, but I have to say that uh, over the last year, and I think partially due to our advocacy, uh, the Trudeau, Trudeau government has really come around on nuclear. So joining on to this uh, pledge, it was very last minute, literally the day of is when they finally uh, decided to sign on. But also, you know, nuclear is now part of our green bond taxonomy, um, our clean tech investment tax credits, which are the response to, um, you know, Joe Biden's uh, Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S., which mobilizes an enormous amount of spending for, for climate change-related economic activities. Um, so Canada is uh, really hitting the ground. We are now a pro-nuclear nation, solidly. Um, so it's, it's exciting times. Yeah, and, and whether I like the Prime Minister or not, um, I, let's put that to the side. It's the ideology that there can't be any other options as to, you know, everyone have their plan and then they stick to it, even though it's not working. And so I'm glad to see the conversation has expanded because when you and I first started talking, there was no talk about this at all. The Ford government had start, started talking about these small nuclear you know, modular nuclear, um, you know, things that we can we can get. But it is one of the ways we can actually do something without destroying economies or people's bank accounts. Like it is something that we have. And it's also something that should be fairly easy to sell, I think, for those who who want to actually make a change for climate, because we we could lead this one. Well, absolutely. And I mean, the extraordinary thing about nuclear is that uh, before we were worried about climate change, it accidentally decarbonized our economy. So, you know, Ontario used to burn a lot of coal. We didn't mine it ourselves. We imported it from the U.S. After the OPEC crisis, it doubled in price. And for very pragmatic economic reasons, we built out a huge Candu fleet. Um, Candu is our you know, national reactor technology. We commissioned 22 large Candu reactors in just 22 years. So for those that say nuclear is just too slow... Uh, I got news for them. That just isn't true. And that has delivered uh, one of the cleanest electricity grids in the world. And we see similar stories uh, in France and Sweden and around the world. Nuclear is, in fact, the fastest way to add clean electricity um, to the grid. And people might say, how can that be? It takes, you know, six, eight years to build a nuclear plant. Well, you build a whole bunch of them at the same time. And that's what we did. And that's what we're going to have to do if we want to meet this, uh, this pledge that's been made uh, at COP28.
I also think we're going to have to use it because if we want to, uh, you know, redefine, reshape and change everything about our, our markets, whether it's grids and electric vehicles and that, I don't I don't know how we don't because we're going to need energy, you know, to make up for the supply that's taken. Uh, so there's those opportunities. But how long, uh, Chris, would it take, you know, for that, the conversation to clear? Like, it's come a pretty fast way since you and I started talking. But how fast would we and could we see movement on this and start getting away from the other renewables that are the only ones that really get attention, right? Like, for a long time, it's only been about solar and, and wind and air, that, that stuff. At what point do you see this kind of becoming an all-in thing? Well, I mean, you're right. We spent $62 billion on our solar and wind fleet. It's crazy. Uh, during the Green Energy Act years. And I mean, we're still paying for it. We'll pay for it for another 10 or 15 years. $62 billion. Our entire can-do fleet cost $58 billion in 2021 dollars. That gives you a sense that we've gone down that path. It's been incredibly low value. Uh, wind barely produces in the summer when we need it most during our heat waves. We're talking about reshoring industries. We're opening up battery plants here. Um, you know, you can have whatever opinion you want on that, but we're reindustrializing the province. And for that, you need stable baseload power. Um, so, you know, this is this is a good move. We have um, the announcements this summer from the Ford government of 6,000 megawatts of new nuclear. Um, that basically adds, you know, half of our existing capacity to the grid. We're also now refurbishing. It looks like that announcement will be made any day that we're going to refurbish the Pickering nuclear station. Um, how fast is it? There's still work for the Trudeau, Trudeau government to do. Um, their federal environmental impact assessment process duplicates a lot of the uh, environmental assessment that the province already does and that the, the individual nuclear sites already do. Um, and that means that, you know, this planned capacity, for instance, um, at Bruce Power could take seven years to work its way through an environmental impact assessment yeah, process on an existing nuclear site, which is one of the best monitored sites in the world from an environmental perspective. Yeah, I, I don't recall any accidents in, in its history, but... I digress. Uh, just quickly, um, Chris, because maybe you can explain it. How would it fit into um, the electric, uh, you know, car and, and all that um, kind of technology moving forward? Is it that we could use nuclear to either replenish or somehow rebuild our power grid? Or could you use nuclear power as far as like charging and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've been focusing on these end consumer products to try and decarbonize so electric vehicles, heat pumps, et cetera. Um, they're going to put a big demand on the grid. We're shifting essentially from burning gasoline to another source of power for cars. Obviously, batteries aren't a power source. They're a battery. They store energy that has to be produced um, from the electrical grid. So nuclear is an excellent way to do that because, again, it's reliable. If you want to drive your car in the summer um, and you want to do it with wind power, you're in trouble. Also, if you want to heat in the winter and you want to do that with solar or wind, good luck. Um, those resources just don't produce when we need the power the yeah. most. And in winter, that's life and death. So, um, you know, this is going to add an enormous strain to the grid. We're talking needing to double or triple um, the amount of power generation on the grid. Um, so if we want to do that in a carbon-free manner and we want to have it reliably, the only way to do that is is with nuclear energy. We run out of new hydroelectric uh, capacity in this province. So it's it's going to be nuclear, and I think decision makers um, are waking up to that fact, and we're seeing that reflected in this new policy change. Yeah, well, I thought about you as soon as I started kind of reading about it, and boy, oh boy, it's a lot of work and a lot of time spent, but uh, starting to see the fruits, I guess, of your labor. So we'll see what happens over the next few days, and uh, wish you a safe, carbon-free flight. <laughs> Thing, but uh, thank you so I'm much. Just, I I'm it. trying. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. There you go. That's Dr. Chris Kiefer, who's also an emergency doctor. I don't know where he finds the time for all this, but uh, yeah, he's an emergency doctor. But 
it is an interesting part of the conversation because it hasn't been allowed to be had. And it just seems to me common sense. We've got it. It's clean. It's green. And it's affordable. No brainer.